Today we're going to answer six questions that have been sent in by students who heard something weird online or from their friends and wanted to get the skeptoid angle on it. Among them, we're going to talk about something that's current in the world of science right now. Can we actually clone and recreate a woolly mammoth, now that we have their genome recovered from frozen individuals? Student questions are today on Skeptoid. Are you ready to take your Skeptoid experience to the next level? Head on over to Skeptoid.com slash GoPremium to become a proud member and unlock a world of exclusive benefits. Picture this, ad-free listening and extended versions of every new episode, diving deep into the mysteries and real truth without interruption. Take this opportunity to elevate your journey and join the Skeptoid community today. Skeptoid.com slash GoPremium. This episode is sponsored in part by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You're listening to Skeptoid. I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Student questions. Marauding mammoths and Queen Elizabeth the Man. Today, Skeptoid answers another round of questions sent in by students all around the world. We're going to examine the value of Bikram Yoga, the possibility of bringing extinct animals like the woolly mammoth back to life through cloning, the necessity of thawing chicken properly to avoid kitchen bacteriological warfare, whether Queen Elizabeth I was a man or a woman, whether the consumption of certain foods can influence dreams, and whether the popular medical practice of avoiding cholesterol is indeed a major factor in controlling coronary heart disease. Let's get started by stretching out in the heat. Hi Brian, just wanted to get your thoughts on Bikram Yoga. It seems to be getting really popular here in Australia, and the idea that doing yoga in 40 degree heat with high humidity will help does seem a bit strange to me. The greatest dangers of working out in very hot conditions are dehydration and risk of heat stroke. You're going to sweat a lot more in such conditions, so you will lose hydration very quickly. Unless you stay hydrated, you're going to lose more weight, but it's all water weight. And there's no physiological reason that Bikram Yoga will produce better weight loss results than any other exercise that burns a similar number of calories. If you enjoy it and stay hydrated, great, it's probably not going to hurt you. And it's a perfectly good exercise. Some practitioners claim that the heat loosens your muscles, allowing better stretching, or that it produces benefits similar to applying a hot pack to a tired muscle. This is false. Hot packs, or ice packs, need to be placed directly against the skin. Hot or cold air alone does not conduct enough heat to significantly affect the temperature of your muscle tissue. If it did, 
and your body temperature actually did rise, then you would be in hyperthermia, which is a serious medical emergency. If a Bikram practitioner tells you that the heat is better for your muscles, they don't know what they're talking about, and you should leave. Hello, this is Madeline from New Mexico. I've heard claims recently of science nearing the point at which it would be able to reanimate extinct species of animals, such as woolly mammoths, through the cloning of unimaged bone marrow cells found in fossils. Is this a possibility? Yes, it's theoretically possible, but it's a really difficult problem. Getting DNA of high enough quality is only a part of the solution, even though it receives the most attention. When we discover a new frozen mammoth corpse, there's always excitement and speculation about recovering its DNA. And we have plenty of it. But that only gets us across the starting line. The DNA has to be nearly perfect, and then microbiologists must manually create the 50 to 60 different chromosomes that elephants have. That's a huge project. And once you have a cell nucleus containing all the chromosomes, you can then replace the contents of the nucleus of a living elephant embryo. But you'll probably have to do this about 100 times before one will survive. Healthy clones are even harder to make. Most artificially cloned animals have died early. Scientists in Spain once cloned an extinct goat, using genetic material extracted while the last surviving specimen was still alive, which allowed them to skip much of the tedious work that awaits mammoth cloners. However, the goat died after only a few minutes. It'll probably be done sooner or later, but the smart money is on later. Hello, Brian. My name is Alan, and I recently graduated from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. I'm wondering how dangerous it actually is to let chicken thaw out at room temperature. Many say it's an outright death wish to leave chicken thawing on the kitchen counter even for a few hours. Now, obviously, warm and moist flesh encourages bacterial growth, but the cooking of the meat kills almost all bacteria. So, assuming one is hygienic when handling the raw meat, and there are no toxic bacterial waste products, this sounds like pure hysteria to me. Could you investigate the matter to see if this zero tolerance for counter-thawing is based on facts? Thanks. I have to give a yes and no answer to this. Yes, completely thorough and proper cooking will kill all of the myriad little bugs that can cause foodborne illness. But no, it's not just hysteria. Some of these bacteria are seriously dangerous and they will multiply quickly once the temperature of the meat is above about 4 degrees Celsius, or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Having them on your food preparation surfaces, where they may come into contact with other foods that will not be cooked, is dangerous. Getting them on your hands or on your knives is dangerous. So properly thawing your meat is not just hysteria. It's very sound food safety. Once the little beasties multiply, they will begin to break down the tissues of the meat as they consume it. And this is what happens when meat goes bad. It tastes terrible. You can indeed cook it to kill everything and eat it safely. But do you really want to? Head on over to Skeptoid.com store and explore the Skeptoid store where curiosity meets cool. We have books, socks, shirts, hoodies, and more. Check out our slick new Bigfoot design, where the mystery of this legendary cryptid never looked so good. And while you're here, don't forget to grab a Skeptoid USB drive, your portal to all episodes 
and all our movies, now including the UFO movie they don't want you to see. That's not all we have planned. We have a lineup of way more cool stuff coming soon. So head on over, skeptoid.com slash store, and snag your swag. Hi, Brian. My name is Tiffany Delegati, and I'm a graduate student at the University of Connecticut. Recently, my art history professor has made an unusual claim. She says there is strong evidence to suggest that Queen Elizabeth I of England was, in fact, a man. This sounded incredibly dubious, but she points out the following as evidence. Balding head, heavy makeup to cover a five o'clock shadow, and dresses that would be impossible for a woman with hips to fit. What do you think? Is it possible that she wasn't, in fact, a woman? Thanks. Anything's possible, but that doesn't give it credibility. Contrary to what your professor says, there's no evidence whatsoever that she was a man, nor any sound reasons to suspect such a thing. This has to do with confusion over what the word evidence means. Queen Elizabeth never married and had no children, but this is not evidence that she was a man. It's merely consistent with the suggestion. She's usually depicted with a high hairline and wearing a collar that would hide an Adam's apple. But this is also not evidence. It's just consistent with the suggestion. I could just as easily suggest that she was from Mars and point to her pale skin color and call that evidence. Nothing about Elizabeth's appearance as depicted in paintings is outside the normal range of women's features. None of the many suitors she had over her lifetime ever noticed anything worth mentioning. None of her attendants or servants ever raised the alarm. Outside of a few crank pseudo-historians, no real academics in the field have ever found cause to take this suggestion seriously. No more than they would take my suggestion that she was from Mars. Hi, Brian. This is Mike from the U.S. Army JFK Special Warfare Center in school. Is there any truth to the claims about various foods such as popcorn and cheese improving or altering one's dreams? Thanks. There's probably no biochemical connection between the food you eat and the type of dreams you have. That would require far more intricate signaling between your digestive system and the cognitive centers of your brain, and our bodies simply don't work that way. Nutrients make it into your bloodstream in a very gradual and prescribed manner, and by the time that blood is processed and brings oxygen to the brain, no significant information remains about what specific ingredients were in the food. Smells, however, have been found to creep into dreams. If someone's cooking bacon for breakfast, you're more likely to dream about bacon. Similarly, if you ate something especially pungent before bed, or the taste of which is still in your mouth, that lingering smell or flavor can intrude into your dream as well. Smells also trigger memories, and memories absolutely influence your dreams. In cases like this, everyone's individual experiences may match certain foods to certain remembered events. This type of connection between food and dreams is experiential, not biochemical. Some people point to things like blood sugar affecting adrenaline and this causing an exciting dream, but these are really all just speculations and not supported by proper research. The experiential component is probably the most significant driver. Hey, this is Nico from Northern Illinois University, and I have a question about fat and does it actually cause heart problems? A lot of people think that it doesn't, and this is based off of the Ansel Keys 7 Country study, 
and they believe that the study was actually flawed because a lot of the countries were removed, and I believe they actually studied 21 instead of 7, and then he only actually used 7. Um, and so a lot of people believe that fat leads to heart problems when, well, according to some other people, that it's actually sugar and carbohydrates that lead to heart problems and not fat. And they have some pretty good arguments and some good uh, scientific evidence to show this. So I was wondering if you could comment on this and let people know if this is actually a, a real thing to be concerned about or if it's just another alternative scheme to, I guess, show people why the mainstream food and drug industry is flawed. What you're referring to is cholesterol denial, a trend among alternative medicine practitioners who are critical of mainstream medicine's use of statin drugs to treat high cholesterol levels. Ansel Keys, in his Seven Countries study, which studied correlations between dietary cholesterol and heart disease, ran for 50 years and was largely responsible for the unpopularity of saturated fats. Cholesterol buildup in the coronary arteries is a major cause of heart disease. It can be treated any number of ways, including diet and surgery, but also with statin drugs. Many alternative medicine practitioners reject the findings of science-based medicine, particularly the use of medications. And perhaps as a result, many have embraced the fringe claims that statin drugs are useless in their imaginary world where cholesterol is not correlated with coronary heart disease. They direct their focus instead on other causes, which is a textbook example of cognitive dissonance. They embrace what they should know is bad science because it happens to fit nicely with their ideology. In this case, the ideology is usually distrust of the pharmaceutical industry. Unfortunately, the whole subject is a missed opportunity for science-based and alternative practitioners to find common ground. Both state that a good diet, low in saturated fats and sugar, plus exercise, is the healthiest lifestyle. It's unfortunate that at that point, they diverge into an ideological disagreement that does not serve a single patient's interest. Want a new way to share Skeptoid with a broader audience? Check out In Fact, my video series based on selected Skeptoid episodes. Come to InFactVideo.com. You're listening to Skeptoid. I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Hi, this is Mark from Santa Fe, New Mexico. You know, when you consider that every single day we're exposed to such an avalanche of deliberate disinformation, conspiracy theories, false claims, hidden agendas, and outright lies, that it's no wonder that we can feel overwhelmed by it all. How can anyone know what to believe anymore? Well, by employing skepticism, critical thinking, and deliberate search for truth through science. That's how. Let Brian Dunning and Skeptoid be your guide in separating real facts from fiction. After enjoying episodes for a good many years, I finally decided to give back and become a premium member. Thank you, Brian, for performing a very valuable public service. Oh, yes. The episodes are also very well produced and very entertaining. There are so many great resources and tremendous library of past episodes you will have access to. I would highly recommend you consider becoming a premium member today. 